Hey everyone, welcome back to Simply Walk the Talk. We are so excited to have Daryl Edwards, also known as the Fitness Explorer, on the show this week. You may remember one of our previous episodes where we talk about his book, Animal Moves. This week we do a deep dive into his whole philosophy, what he's got planned, and his recommendations for living an active and healthy life. Apologies for any sound quality issues, we had to iron out some kinks with our Skype call, but we hope you enjoy the episode anyway. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Simply Walk the Talk. We're so excited to have you back, and we're particularly excited for this week's episode. Yeah, we're getting close to the end of the year, and uh, this is kind of marking the the second year of Simply Walk, Walk the Talk, which is quite insane to, to even think about. Um, but as always, we get excited when we have another guest on the show, and this guest that we are particularly talking about um, well, we've <laughs> we've definitely had some technical issues, and so now we're finally recording, among many other things. So, everyone, please welcome Mr. Daryl Edwards to the show. Say hello, Daryl. Hey, I was expecting so like a. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, that that may be coming. Don't worry, that may be coming. Try that again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, no, it's, it's it's a pleasure to to be on uh, on on the podcast, and uh, I love. I mean, I love the title of the podcast, and I love what you guys uh, stand for, and it's a pleasure to be talking about about movement. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So for for those who are unfamiliar with Daryl Edwards' work, you may recall uh, with with my reading a book a year venture that I've been doing, um, uh, one of his books, Primal Play, is, is, is one that I really, really enjoyed because it relates very well with some of the, well, sorry, yeah. It's Animal Moves, the book. Sorry, that's right, it is Animal Moves, sorry. I, I think of you as uh, Primal Play because of the, the, the cards and the, Yes. And the, and the, uh, that's the, the branding. Website. That's the website. Yep. That's Absolutely. right. Yeah. So it's Animal Moves. Correction there. Um, w- which was a great book though, because it's with with all of my my changes in fitness. I believe that it at the end of the day it all comes down to movement, which is what you speak a, a lot about. Um, but I thought it was also kind of fun because Grace, remember we posted the the video of me doing the crocodile walk, you know, on the backstage. And, and I, I was kind of starting to bring in the security guards and some of the people backstage, the crew to, to start to play with me. And it all works, especially with uh, the way you tie it into fitness. So, so anyway, so, so Daryl is a, an author, he's a fitness coach. Um, you know, he talks a lot about health and, yeah, I think I think this is is great to finally get him on. So yeah, yeah, I'm particularly excited because not only do we have the fitness explorer on our show, we also have another Brit, which is so exciting for me. Which is which is always good. So uh, yeah, we're kind of um, we're dominating the podcast <laughs> with the British accents at least. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's always it's always a pleasure to to hear. It's I mean it's incredible actually. I'm, I'm sure. I don't have any evidence, but I'm sure the English, you know, the variations of English accents are probably the most diverse of any of any other language, uh, partially because obviously the, the the impact of the British Empire. But but it's it's incredible how you know you even within even within the UK, 
uh, even within the same city of of London, you have so many different accents from one corner of the city to the next, one part of the city to the next. So it's it's pretty incredible how how we all speak differently, even though it's the same language. I've I've no idea why those variations occurred either. So um, yeah, interesting. Well, that that's actually a really good point, and I think that's a great sort of segue or. Um, comparison to to movement, to exercise, to all things that we do in life, if you think about it, right? Because variations occur with us either. Sometimes we know why they occur, like with language, or sometimes we don't. And I know in the fitness world, I've got probably 20 different ways you can do ab exercises or, or a standard crunch, right? And the fact that, like, it may be called something in one in one region or one realm of, of training and called something else, um, I think is what kind of makes this fun and cool and exciting. It can be. And so anyway, so I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's def- definitely something to discuss. Um, I mean, um, I, I suppose I, I, I would say that that is the significance about talking about movement, you know, physical activity and movement as opposed to exercise. So, so exercise, the definition of exercise is physical activity, which has, uh, you know, a certain amount of effort assigned to it, which is repetitive, structured physical activity. And, and so uh, usually rhythmic as well. So there's usually a, a kind of a cadence to it. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, you then have to start categorizing and naming particular exercises. You know, how many you do, how many sets and reps, how do you increase the intensity or, or, or not, how you compartmentalize and isolate particular muscles, say. And, and as a movement coach, I've, I've, I've gone so far away, so far removed from exercise, in quotation marks, much more to movement, whereby the, the variations are pretty much infinite. I mean, it's whatever my body is capable of. Uh, is what I want to explore when it comes to movement. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have an exercise, as you mentioned earlier, if you have an exercise and you're talking about crunches, yeah, there's a, there's a limited number of different types of crunches you can do, you know, and then you can add, you know, some variations, which are kind of oblique type crunches and then reverse crunches and then bicycle kicks. And, but there's, mm-hmm. there comes a point in time where you pretty much cover all of the bases of kind of isolated ab exercises whereas if you just think about how the body moves and the fact that the the ab region or the core or the midsection is designed to stabilize the body then they are always engaged if you're if you're conducting natural movements of locomotion of of stabilizing yourself from landing from a jump or deceleration or lifting and carrying etc 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 then the abs are always engaged so that's another difference i think i feel between movement uh, and exercise with exercise you're looking to optimize you're looking to isolate you're looking to see you know how much discomfort can i endure in order to overload a particular part of my musculoskeletal system with movement you're focusing on what you can perform in terms of function and 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 in that way there are many ways to perform that function and you're not relying on one body part to achieve that objective. Uh, you're utilizing the, the, the whole body oftentimes 
to perform that objective and you want to be maybe you want to be efficient or effective at doing that so yeah so i i think it's important especially on this show to to distinguish between between those two modes of our physical activity Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a pretty fascinating way of deconstructing exercise and you know how we approach it. How did you reach that kind of philosophy and perspective? Because, um, I mean, I know that you didn't start out in personal training, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, I started out, um, well, I started out as a kid playing all day, most days. <laughs> that's, that's, I suppose that's how those would be my first memories of, of movement. Um, it was the joy and fun of playing with my family, with my friends, and hopefully having long, hot summers, which they, I'm sure there was rain during the summer when I was a kid, but I don't remember it raining. I just remember it being hot and sunny <laughs> for, you know, for several weeks. Uh, and, and then I was one of the, fortunate enough to be one of the first kids that had a, a home computer, um, late 70s. My mother was supposed to buy a games console, an Atari console, because that's what all my friends had. And I remember she brought this device home, and I was like, Mom, that's not, oh, my goodness, what have you, what is that? And basically, it was an Atari computer with a keyboard. And so I remember going, like, Mom, is that, what, what? what is that? What's, what, why is there a keyboard on this thing? It's not a, it's, you can't play games with this. It's like, you can play games. There are cartridges you can play. So I, so I could play all of those games um, that were available then, arcade games that were available then, but there was this keyboard. So I investigated something called the basic programming language, which was included with that machine. And I found that I was, I was definitely interested in playing games, but I was also interested in how how the machine worked and how I could actually get the machine to perform actions and functions that I could I could actually control. So so I became fascinated with technology, computerized technology, and I had no idea that there were people who were computer programmers. You know that was that could be a career or vocation for me. And prior to that, I wanted to be I wanted to work in medicine. That was my pretty much my my goal from a very young age was to become a doctor. But my love for computer technology led me to becoming more interested in computer uh, technology. And that's what I did at, at university. But that change shift meant I was very, very sedentary. It meant mm. that I wasn't uh, I was pretty much spending my time sitting down, learning how to write code. And then when I became a programmer professionally, that's what I was doing all day, every day. And when I started working in investment banking, uh, which was kind of the end of, of, of my career in that field, I was spending even more time <laughs> uh, stationary, but in front of several computer screens rather than just one. Um, and during that time, I started getting, you know, issues around my health and well-being. So I was pre-diabetic. I had uh, issues with cardiovascular disease, high risk of cardiovascular disease or heart disease. I was very high blood pressure, highly stressed environment, very lucrative environment, as you can imagine, but it wasn't a healthy one. And uh, when I was prescribed statins for my cholesterol control, uh, uh, metformin for my blood glucose because I was pre-diabetic, also beta blockers for my blood pressure to lower my blood pressure, It's like a cocktail of medication, and I wanted to avoid the side effects. So I wasn't too concerned about taking the meds, but I was was kind of like, I'm the person who's going to take these meds, and I'm going to have all these horrible and horrendous side effects. So I need to, is there anything else that I can do? And the doctor's like, 
not really. You're getting older. You've got this running in your, you know, some of these issues in your family, near immediate family. Uh, that's just how it is. You've got to take the meds. Otherwise, you're looking at a premature death. So what I do remember is reading at some point that exercise could, could be used to control blood pressure. Um, and I was like, mm, interesting. So maybe I need to stop being as sedentary as I am and start, you know, join a gym and start exercising. And so that's what I did. And within a short space of time, my, my blood pressure came down and my blood glucose ca came down to normal. So I was no longer pre-diabetic. And, and I was also being told that my cholesterol, my lipid profile was also improving. So I was like, oh my goodness, like just, for, just through physical activity, I'm seeing all of these health changes and it led me to thinking about what I should be eating to support that, how I should manage other parts of my lifestyle. And I stayed within banking for a while until I realized this, isn't, this is no longer for me. And I would rather spend my time and my passion helping others achieve similar health goals. But to answer your original question, which is how I got from there to where I am today and this transition from exercise to more of a movement approach, was that I dived in whole scale to training like an athlete to mm. i got into the sport of fitness i started to really punish myself physically in the gym and i had incredible results within a short space of time i went from a, pretty much a, a weed you know i couldn't really do much physically at all <laughs> to starting to achieve some pretty incredible results like so i remember my first the first time i could deadlift um 60 60 kilos about 130 pounds or so i remember lifting that and thinking i just i can't believe i can lift something this heavy i was literally jumping up and down for joy in 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 the gym um and and of course that 60 kilos became like 200 kilos so so that that shows you from what i was initially kind of like jumping up and down for joy for to what i was able to achieve because i just kept on working at it i wanted to beat my peers i wanted to be number one on the leaderboard and i i realized that i wanted to have an all-round uh, focus on on fitness so i didn't want to be, just be strong i wanted to have good stamina endurance i wanted to have good speed and agility i wanted to be like an athlete and for someone who didn't have that background i wasn't a track star you know i was definitely a uh, uh, a jack of all trades and master of none at school i tried to qualify for the basketball team you know like mm -hmm. you know, I, was, I like i tried but i i often i often failed miserably so to have this physical capability much later in life was just remarkable i was like you know i'm 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 achieving physical feats that have never been possible for me ever in my life isn't this incredible but then something changed. <laughs> and that change was when I realized that I couldn't maintain that work rate. The, the passion and the motivation started to wane. I started to skip sessions. I started to get uh, frequent injuries. Um, I didn't enjoy be being second best when we, I'd be doing the workout of the day and I, I got second place and, you know, it might be second out of 15, but, but I wouldn't be happy about that. I'd be unhappy about being the first place loser, you know what I mean? Second place. <laughs> so, so there was something about that process, even with all of those re remarkable meeting all those health goals and health targets, meeting all those fitness goals and fitness targets. 
um, being stronger and fitter than ever before in my life, there was still a, a, a huge level of dissatisfaction. And this, this dissatisfaction came about through a lack of joy, a lack of enjoyment of the process. Cool. The fact that I only saw progress if I was be, you know, collapsed on the floor at the end of a session, I felt that was progress. If my numbers were improving, there was progress. If that didn't occur, I was deeply upset. And uh, I was like, I can't see myself doing this five years from now, let alone for the rest of my life. So I realized that me taking my hard work ethic um, from my day job into the gym wasn't working for me. I had a highly stressed job. I then went into a gym environment, which was highly stressed, uh, which is about beating, obliterating everyone around you. That's what it was like at work. So I took that into the gym. And if that wasn't working for me, I, I wasn't beating my peers. I was upset. If I couldn't enjoy the process, I was like, it doesn't matter because I've got the end goal to focus on. That's when I realized I need to find something that I can sustain for the rest of my life. When was the last time I enjoyed physical activity? I enjoyed exercise. And I realized it was when I didn't exercise. That was the first, yeah. <laughs> that was the first answer. It was not, it was when I wasn't training, when I wasn't exercising, when I was a kid, I would enjoy playing football or basketball or cricket with my friends uh, where there were less rules, less regulations, and you were just spending your time enjoying the game. As soon as it became more structured and regimented when I went to school and you were trained and there were drills, I didn't enjoy that so much. So that was the first kind of light bulb moment. And the second was recognizing that I, as a kid, if you were doing something physical, so, you know, you're with your friends and you're, you're playing a game or you're doing some sort of physical activity, if you didn't enjoy it or, or a few of you didn't enjoy it, you'd say, guys, let's just do something else. You know what I mean? Hey, we've been on our bikes for miles. You know what? Let's stop biking and do something else. Let's climb a tree instead. Let's play tag. And let's... So you're constantly changing, uh, you know, your environment changes, what you enjoy changes from, from day to day, from hour to hour, from minute to minute. And that's what I realized was also missing from my adult approach to, to movement. So the third was realizing that whatever I was doing and as broad as, as I felt it was, um, you know, doing some high intensity, doing some Olympic lifting, doing some gymnastics, for example, doing some calisthenics. As broad as that was in scope, I, rec I still recognized that it was there was something missing. There were certain movement patterns that I wasn't engaging in. Uh, there were certain human movement patterns that part of being human meant that I should be engaging in, that my ancestors were definitely engaging in. And if I believe in that as a lifestyle uh, choice, trying to, to you know, mimic what our ancestors did in the past, then I need to be exploring those movement patterns. Mm -hmm. And do you think that kind of uh, analytical aspect is something that was reflected in your childhood from, you know, when you started uh, really dissecting what your computer was able to do and figuring out how that worked? Do you think that there's a kind of reflection in that and how you've like broken down the movements? I, I, I suppose so, because I, that's um, I was definitely very analytical, very logical as a child. Uh, and um, I suppose pre-computers, I was I was very sci into science. So there is something about computers, which is about abstraction. So, so to get the best out of a computer, you harness that technology in a way that is easy for humans to utilize. 
So if you've got a smartphone, for example, there's an incredible amount of technology and hardware and software that makes this device something that we can utilize. And we, most of us don't, don't even appreciate how complicated these things are. I mean, you could, you could definitely run, you know, NASA could have run off your, your current smartphone device in the 60s very easily. Most technological feats in history could have been done based on the, the technological power in a device the size of your palm. That's how, that's how much power we have in these devices. But the only way we can utilize that are by engineers who can add these layers of simplicity called abstraction, which make them accessible. And I suppose I feel that way with, with movement in some respects. You know, how can we take some of the complexity of the modern fitness industry? You know, our talk about anatomy and physiology and, and you know, th there's a whole, there's a whole never language and dialogue which just confuses most people. And at the end of the day, most of us just need to move more at various intensities in more ways than we're doing now. That, that's, that's pretty much the, the simplicity of this message. But most of us want to focus on the complexity. You know, how many sets and reps, how long for, um, you know, uh, periodization, you know, hypertrophy. I mean, there's all these buzzwords. There's all, these, there's all this science, sports science around what many of us focus on. But the majority of us are sitting down in our chairs for most of the day. Most of us are disengaged with that type of language. Those who love that language, those who love that approach to working do really well. But the majority of, of mere mortals, <laughs> you know, they're like, nah, that's not, that doesn't interest me. I'd rather watch someone I'd rather spectate and watch somebody perform physical feats than take part in it myself. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so that's that's probably the other challenge of taking primal play to where it is now, is taking our need for primal instinctive natural movement, but adding these layers of accessibility and inclusivity, which come about when you add play into the mix. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's, <clears throat> it, all this is very, very exciting because... I think about my childhood when you when you speak about your childhood and the fact that you were very interested in how computers work, right? And I was one that was interested in how most things work. Like I would literally, anytime I would get a toy, I, I swear, and I know I pissed my parents off many times, <laughs> but I would take the, every single one of them apart. Mm. every single one of them and i'll never forget one of the last times my mom was like i am never getting you a toy is when <laughs> my brother and i we we both had the same remote control car and we discovered that one remote could uh dictate the movement of both cars or the other car and so we would <laughs> crash them into each other and then from there we like took them apart and anyway so i i i see some similarities and mm. also I was almost forced to kind of um, think about movement from a different perspective because I grew up <clears throat> grew up in martial arts, mm. and and when I label it martial arts, you you probably understand that martial arts is not just taekwondo, it's not just kung mm. fu, it's not it's the arts combined, mm. and so if you wanted to be a a very well versed martial artist, then the then you, the goal back then, even 30 years ago, like the goal would be to try to learn as many different styles as possible so that maybe one style doesn't become the best. And then now, of yes. course, there's 
there's the UFC and mixed martial arts. Yes, um, yes. And you know what's also interesting is I first discovered your work when several years ago, many years ago, um, I was doing the Primal Health Coach certification. Mm. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Mark Sisson, and I used to hear about Primal Con, you know, every year, I think even since it first started. And, yeah. you know, every time I would listen to a podcast with Mark Sisson um, or I would, was reading in the books, they would always refer to this guy, Primal Play, with Daryl Edwards. And and then that's when I read Animal Moves, right? Yeah. And, um, and then I was also impressed that during the certification, now this is, for those of you listening, this certification is one that's pretty extensive, and I think it's one of the best health coaching certifications out there. And there's almost an entire section or chapter dedicated to play. Mm-hmm. And that is when I was like, aha, whenever at some point in the future when I get my own gym, which I have now, mm-hmm. um, I will make sure that play is a big part. And and then I love how you beautifully laid it out by saying, you know, we need to have more of this because really, at the end of the day, it's just a rewiring, if you think of it from yeah. taking things mm. apart, right? It's mm. a rewiring of our brains into thinking that movement is exercise and exercise is movement. Mm. So I, I love how you break that down. It's it's just amazing. So I, it wasn't even really a question, but it was just, a, yeah. I think, a, a comment to to applaud you for what you're doing. And, no, yeah, and, no, I mean, yeah. I, I, I appreciate you mentioning that because I, I also had did martial arts as a, as a kid. So one of my inspirations and my influences I mentioned on my website is martial arts. And for me, I mean, martial arts in the 70s, uh, you know, I was a, I was a 70s kid. So my father would take my brother and I to all night um, uh, cinemas when we were definitely too young to attend. So, so uh, but they used to back then. They they used to have you know uh, Hong Kong um, kung fu movies playing from like I don't know midnight until day you know sunrise, and and my my dad would take us occasionally on a, on a Friday night, and it was just mesmerizing. And we did kung fu and I did karate. And again, I had a similar similar approach to to how I feel about movement now, which is there was a begin the the beginning of that process was a lot of fun, like incredible. You know, I'm, I'm getting stronger. I'm, you know, there, there's something about this which is magical. And then it starts to become a little bit more serious. So I grading of belts, yeah. you know, start taking part in competition. And and back then, even for kids, it was full contact. You know, so yeah. karate was. You know, you'd get, I mean, you get kicked in the face. That's, that's because you didn't block it. It was simple as that. No, exactly. no head guards or, you know, that's just how it was. And, um, and I remember once fight, you know, fighting, uh, you know, I maybe I maybe was about 12 or 13. So I was quite, I was quite tall. I was already well over six foot at that stage. Um, you know, one meter, whatever, more meaning 90, whatever that is for those who are not averse to feet and inches. But yeah, I was that tall. And I remember having to fight a girl who was really petite, same age as I, because it was based on age then. It wasn't based on body weight or anything like that. So I remember having to fight this girl who looked, she was half of my size. And to get, to get the point, I didn't want to hit her. And I remember my coach saying like, well, if you want to win, you have to strike her, you know, two strikes out of whatever, you know. And I remember I had to, 
I had to hit her and it had to connect. And, you know, and I hit her and she's like, she's in tears. And she's, I think one, she was winded. I hit her in the stomach and she's winded. And I was just like, this is, there's something about this I don't feel comfortable doing. And that was, that's when I questioned, questioned what I was doing. And you know what was, what was really bizarre actually was I, so I won that battle. And then <laughs> my next opponent was like twice as wide as me. So he, he was, he, I mean, he just looked like, he was just like a giant. And I remember thinking, hmm, this is interesting, right? I just had to pummel someone half my size. And now I'm going to have to face someone who's extremely intimidating. So I know what that girl felt like, because I feel exactly the same way now facing this person. And I, I remember saying to my dad, I can't do this anymore. I started missing skipping sessions um, and there was a lot of training sessions then, which were about how much pain can you endure as a kid to toughen you up? It was very old school style of training. Uh, and, um, and it was almost like a party trick at times. You know, I could say to adults back then, hey, punch me in the stomach as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, take a broomstick and whack me in the abs and I'm not going to feel, you know, I got, I remember getting to that sort of level of, of, of ability. Uh, <laughs> but Again, there was no fun in it for me anymore. Sparring wasn't fun after a point. Um, the training certainly wasn't. So going full circle, still acknowledging the benefits and the wisdom that came from, from martial arts, and I, and I definitely have that inspiration. But the inspiration for me is more what I saw maybe in the movies. So, so you know, the kind of mystical, magical aspects of martial arts appeals to me far more. The things that people can't actually do in reality, that's what appeals to me, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, like flying, flying tiger, cr- uh, cr- yeah, crouching tiger, tiger flying, flying dragon, yeah. uh, you know, like early, early Jackie Chan, for yeah. example. Yeah. I mean, incredible. If you've, if you've ever witnessed, watched early Jackie Chan movies, um, Oh, I can't remember the names now. Snake and Eagle, Shadow, I think is, you know, there's some, some, there's some classic seminal 70s uh, movies. And, and of course, a lot of that stuff isn't, isn't obviously technically possible, but, but they make it believable. You know, back then there wasn't any CGI, you know, they didn't have all those fancy cranes and everything else. I mean, they, they did some stuff that was pretty incredible anyway, regardless. But there's something magical about movement. That, that appeals to us as humans that we, that we delight in. And so if we're practicing movement ourselves, something about that should be magical. It shouldn't just be what we see other people doing. And, and, and that's, that differentiates us, differentiates us from other animals. So for example, you take, if I have a dog and I take my dog for a walk and, and my dog could communicate with me, I could never imagine my dog saying to me, you know, we get to the park and there's some dogs playing and chasing and a dog going, hey, hold on a sec. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can you just, can you just stand here for a second, Daryl, and let me, let me oh, look, at, look how great those dogs are at chasing Frisbees. And, you know, look at, oh, look at that dog over there, how fast he is. And, you know, we wouldn't have that dialogue. The, the do, my dog would not say, I want to spectate and watch these dogs playing. My dog would be like, get me off the leash, get me off the lead. I want to go and interact. (laughs) And so humans, we've got to a stage where we would rather spectate at amazing movement spectacles. You know, we'd rather watch people dance. We'd rather watch people be graceful. We'd rather watch people fight, you know, say, or whatever it may be, or take part in track and field or, or play sport rather than participate. And, and we need to, we need to do something about this landscape. And so I feel that, yeah, so, you know, you know uh, something we're doing now around exercise is not working for us as humans. 
So really, if we were to kind of boil it down to a recipe for you developing animal moves, it's kind of like this fascination with the not mechanics, but, you know, the physical process of boiling down these moves, plus that absolute like joy of just going for it and not being self-conscious and then getting that animal participation, right? It's because it, it's, it's really it's really interesting to see how you've kind of gone from all of all of these really amazing ideas to like the crocodile walk and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, we 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 sometimes forget that we're animals, so that's also part of the problem. We we believe Absolutely. we're above we're above the rest of the animal kingdom in every single respect, and uh, we just need to take a dose of humble pie. Sometimes I'll give you an example. You know, we we have higher intelligence than any other mammal. Arguably, that would be the case for sure. But when it comes to physical feats, we don't do that well when we compare ourselves to other animals. So we're very slow in comparison to a cheetah at top speed. Um, Usain Bolt can't even outrun a camel, outsprint a camel. A wild sheep can run faster than Usain Bolt. I can, <laughs> I can delight in, you know, the world record holder at the deadlift, you know, who can lift probably, I mean, he can lift probably, you know, four or five times his body weight, some, something ridiculous. An ant can carry up to a hundred times his body weight. You know, like, do you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we, we, we feel that we're so special, unique at, at our abilities to, to, to conquer our environment. But in some respects, we're very poor in comparison to other animals. We can't jump very far. You know, we can't climb as well as, as monkeys can say, you know. So humans are generalists of movement. And that's what's our, what our specialty is. It's the fact that we can perform lots of different movement patterns pretty poorly <laughs> as a jack of all trades and as a master of none. And if, if, if we acknowledge that, then we will start taking part in all of those moving patterns. So, yeah, I can't sprint very fast, but I can still sprint. I can't climb very well, but I can still climb. I can crawl. I can jump. I can lift and carry. You know, I can have agility and balance and coordination. I, I can take part in all these different pursuits. And that's what, how animal moves came about. It wasn't just thinking about, hey, let's just mimic animals because the, the animal that we are is ourselves. So if we train like the animals we observe, then we actually become more human. Because if I look at a, a cheetah, if I look at, at what an ant can do, if I look at what a monkey can do and I just go, let me just mimic them. I, there's no way I can do what they can. But if I mimic them, then I am going to be start climbing. You know, I am going to start sprinting. I am going to recognize that just going long distances isn't good enough. You know, but going long distances is something that I should also be doing. I should be walking great distances because I have that ability to do so. You know, so that's how Animal Moves came about as, as that concept. And why if you go through the book's program, you'll see it does cover not only a wide array of animals to mimic, but also lots of different intensities, lots of different modes of movement, you know, and, and components of fitness. So from strength to high intensity to very slow flow-based movements to, to kind of static isometric work, um, you know, and everything in between. So, yeah, I just wanted to, to, to kind of mention why animal moves is very powerful for, for us as humans because it gets us to start focusing on what our natural capability uh, capabilities should be and what we should be focusing on to make sure we explore all of those you know what <clears throat> what i think of when you when you when you break that down um 
one of one of my favorite authors is Katie Bowman, and um, she she's very good at breaking down the body and breaking down nature and what's not nature. And and as as I was reading a couple of her books, I, I started to come up with this term in my head, and I think someone's already used it now, but it's human animals, right? Because mm-hmm. you're right, we are human animals. We, but we, it's almost like, in fact, look, I have movement matters right here right here beside me right Mm. and and she was talking about the fascination between what animals do like animals in quote-unquote nature right Mm. and how we kind of we almost look at ourselves above animals because we're able to we have the brain capacity to build we have the thumbs and the capability to be able to build and we can put ourselves inside of a home regulate the temperature but Mm. are we any better than than the animals as you were pointing out and then it it also makes me think whenever i explain to my clients i want you to sprint a few like once a week at least Mm. Mm. the next question out of their mouth is well how fast am I supposed to go and how long and how far mm. well, a sprint is your capacity, right? Yeah. Like yeah, you broke yeah. down a cheetah. Well, a cheetah is going to sprint, but that cheetah is not, if that cheetah could talk, the cheetah is not going to say, Hey, uh, how far, how long, and how many times a week am I supposed to do this? Mm. Well, the cheetah does it when, when the cheetah needs to eat. <laughs> yes, it's, it's ex- exactly. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and you know, and you know, what's also interesting about the cheetah is um, they can only hold that top speed of say 65 miles an hour. Um, you know, 70 miles an hour for a few seconds, yeah. right? And once once they've attempted their sprint, if they're not successful, they that's it for them. They need a few days to recover. So so cheetahs have to be successful. You know, I think it's something like you know three or four hunts. If they're not successful, it's pretty much game over for that animal. That's how Same critical it is for them to be successful in their ability to 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 hunt. Uh, and to be able to work at peak, you know, peak capacity, right? And so, yeah, I mean, there, there is something that we, we, I used to feel this way myself, that humans, we're unique, we're special, and, and we're the, you know, we're the kings of the, you know, king and queens of the rest of the animal kingdom. But all animals are unique and special in their own way. And if we, and again, if we just acknowledge that fact, if if I could be, if for one day, if I could be as strong as an ant in terms of my, you know, power to weight ratio, I mean, I'd be form, I mean, I'd be formidable. I mean, that strength. We don't know anything what it would be like to be able to have that strength in as in the human body. We we have no idea. You know, if I if I was a flea and I could jump, you know, like half a mile <laughs> from where I do you know what I mean? Again, yeah. body to size to, to 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 kind of capability ratio. Like if if I could do that, I mean, how incredible would that be? So humans, we've created fiction. <laughs> you know, you know, Superman initially as a character, he couldn't fly. He would he would leap tall buildings in a single bound, oh. right? That was his that was his capability initially. If you if you read the first the earliest comics, right? He was able to leap great bounds. So again, we're we're inspired probably by seeing other animals leaping great distances based on this stuff and go, oh wow, wouldn't it be great for humans to do something like that? Wouldn't it be great for us to be able to lift a car? Well, ants are lifting when they're lifting a, a you know a huge leaf. That's pretty much what they're doing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's that's, that's insane, the equivalence. Yeah. So so um, so yes, our greatness comes 
through being generalists of movement. Our, our greatness comes by being inspired, by being able to interact with our environment, by adapting to our environment. That's what we have. You know, most other animals are specialists. They don't have the ability to adapt. If, if their environment changes, it's kind of game over. Mm-hmm. And why do you think, as children, because it seems to be the case that, you know, we lose this engagement with play as children, why why does this happen? You know, why do we why do we get funneled into this very like repetitive, punitive form of exercise? Because for me now as an adult, like I love I love exercising and I love I love playing and being with my friends. But mm. in school, I was always made to believe that I was I was useless at it just because I couldn't run around the track as fast as the other kids or because I didn't you know, and that was very demoralizing and it almost mm. it almost trains you to not have an interest in it. And I think even even with computers, people try and say, you know, this current generation is just obsessed with screens and everything. But yeah, I, yeah. I think it, it goes deeper than that, surely. Yeah, I mean, I think play is undervalued and is seen as superf- superfluous. So there comes a time in our children's lives where we say, play, this isn't as important as it, as it was. And you have to grow out of that playful state and start focusing on, on work and performance. Uh, and, um, you know, kind of conforming to what society expects of you. That's, I mean, that's the reality. And again, if we look at other animals, we will see big cats will continue to play. You know, uh, dogs don't stop playing just because they become dogs. You know, they don't go, oh, I'm not a puppy anymore. <laughs> playing is for puppies. <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen, right? And as adults, <clears throat> we've just created other forms of play which we feel are more acceptable. So playtime for us might be, hey, it's Friday night. Let's go out and get drunk and, you know, uh, go to a nightclub and dance. And that's that's going to be play for us. And let's go to Vegas and play poker and gamble or, you know, and let's, you know, we've, we've created these adult uh, pseudo forms of play, which we, which obviously give us some joy in, in doing so. But it's not. It's not long lasting, I feel. It's very short term. And and it, that leads to, I think, addictive, can lead to addictive behaviors, you know, mm. because it isn't truly satisfying. It's like fast food. And we just need to encourage playful behavior across all ages. Some organizations do, you know, look at the Silicon Valley tech organizations, you know, Google and, and, and the like, they have play rooms, they have play environments for adults. They recognize they get more out of their employees. You know, their employees are more creative. They're more ingenious when they do so. They're more likely to want to come to work because it isn't just about high pressured en- environments. Some of the best schools, uh, you know, like the Steiner schools, the Montessori schools, where kids are pretty much given free roam to choose the the the, the subjects they want to partake in, to explore, to be investigated, to be always curious, like Josh was mentioning earlier about curiosity. Those schools do extremely well academically, even though they don't have that really set structure that you have in, in other schools. So there's no reason why we can't take on board just more of that playful influence and realize that being childlike is not a bad thing. Being childish probably is, but yeah. being childlike and being having that innocence, um, you know, Einstein said play is the highest form of research. Mm. I mean, that should tell us something. Somebody who you would assume is very serious about their craft, obviously, but he recognized that being playful will allow you to be more engaged. 
to be more open to the world around you, to constantly challenge the status quo. And, and that's how I see what our approach as adults should be to movement. Yeah. Always challenge, always question, always uh, explore, always research. And then I guess, like, I can aim this towards both of you, but when you start bringing this into other people's lives firsthand, what have what has the response been and what have the effects been that you've seen firsthand? Um, mm, well, I, I mean, I think most adults are uncomfortable with play. And if I was, you know, from a, if the first time I did a physical training exercise session and my coach said to me, Dal, we're going to spend the next hour playing. I probably would have said, just give me my money back. I'm not, I'm not coming to see you to play for an hour. You know, I've come, I'm coming to see you to train, right? I want to see some science behind this. I want to see an approach, a methodology. Um, I don't want to, I want to be hating you sometimes for, for, for whatever you're, you're doing to me. Cause I know it's going to make me stronger, you know? So, so I would have questioned that approach myself as a, as a client. I have no doubt about it. And to be honest, I feel when most people, when I see Instagram and social media or blogs and people are talking about play, they don't really, it's almost becoming a bit of a buzzword. It's almost mm-hmm. becoming fashionable. Most of the times I see people mentioning hashtag play on their posts, their exercise posts, they're not playing at all. They're working. They're still working. They're still working out. They're still target based. You know, that's my goal. I'm going to keep on working at this, but I'm going to have a smile on my face whilst I video this and I'm going to say, hey, it's play, but it's not really. And until we experience it ourselves, uh, until we have that experience and are able to share it with others, that's the only only way we can kind of break the back of the problem. So my clients now, they get it because I got it myself and I was able to communicate it with them by doing the sessions that we're doing, which doesn't leave them thinking, oh, Dow, you know what? That was a bit of fun, but it was a waste of time for me. Actually, they should feel as if they probably did more than if they were just working out. Their body went through, it was more challenging for them. It was more interesting and engaging for them to do so. And they recognize that play is a superset of work. And if you can achieve that for your clients, then you're not gonna get dissatisfaction you're not going to get people telling you, oh, you know, that this wasn't what I was expecting, not good enough for my coach. And uh, I think most of us who use that word play need to be a bit more responsible about how we use it. Because if people see that we don't, we're not sincere about it, then it will just be seen as another fad. And we'll, in 2019, we'll go, oh, play was so 2018. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That was the in thing last year. Now we're back to hard work again. Um, yeah, anyway, so. yeah, I think it's, I, I honestly think it's, as you were alluding to, I think it's the way it's presented and personally for myself and what I do with my clients and at, at my gym, I mean, I do have clients that range from 16 years old all the way up to, to 75 is kind of my oldest client currently. Um, but all of them play in one form or another. And it's the way that I sprinkle it into the to to the to the session, mm. and and then what I do is I point it out afterwards. So if I'm if I let's say we we did three sessions throughout the week, and I I tell them okay your quote unquote homework is going to be this weekend to go and play. They're going to be like what? Well, <laughs> similar to what we did yeah. today, right? Yeah. Like yeah. and then I break it down, and then and it it's like this aha moment. 
and the light bulb comes on. And sometimes, yes, they do ask, well, what do you mean play? Which for me, I find that to be weird because we should, yeah. we all know what it means to play, but, yes, but yeah, we yeah. forget. And so I break down things. If you look at my Instagram, like I show when I go and rock climb, I show when I go and play basketball, I show when I'm uh, trying to learn a new, a new form of sport, like uh, Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee, like mm. Mark Sisson does, right? So mm. like all of these things are play, but we, f- we forget that we, you know, we could probably do something different every weekend of the year if yes. we really applied ourselves. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think there are many ways to achieve the same objective. So, so, you know, um, but, but yeah, there's something, you know, even with sports, you know, like, I think we're so conditioned to to see sport as as competition, as mm. kind of uh, as you know you need a certain amount of skill to be able to participate. That it does take a little bit. It, it's not truly playful in some respects. I mean, you know, it's probably a bit controversial, but I I think it's very very difficult once you've been deconditioned or conditioned, I should say, conditioned in a certain way, to to truly get back. To, to, to playing and and I, I suppose I would see, see it like uh, if you had I don't know Fred Fred Roger Federer and and Nadal playing playing tennis um, you know you'd have to say and you said okay just play some tennis and have some fun like I think they would need so much more to get in that play state so you might need to say to them you know what guys I want you to have a rally for as long as you can uh, there are no shots that will be invalid. If the ball bounces twice, fine. If you've got a, you know, one of you wears a blindfold, fine. I mean, you, you know, you, you would have to complete this, create this really ridiculous environment for yeah. it to be truly playful because they're just so skilled and adept, you know, and, 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 and almost like unconsciously gifted at what they do that it's always going to be work for them. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? So, of course. so, so, so I, I, you know, I think we almost need to reverse engineer uh, part of our adult, adulthood and re-engage with our inner child, which we can all hopefully remember. Like, do you remember when you were a kid? Do you remember the sort of things that you used to do? Okay, right. Try and do some of that this weekend. What I showed you, you know, as Josh said, as I, what I showed you in that coaching session earlier, do you remember how fun that was? Do you remember how engaged? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do that with your, with your kids or do that with your partner, you know? So, so yeah, there are definitely ways, um, but it's not the easiest path. <laughs> I guess, is that one of the reasons, I know you've released um, an Animal Moves pack of cards, um, mm. and I think it would be really interesting to talk about that really quickly. Does that, that kind of, is so joyful in, in itself because it's it, co-opting those kind of traditional methods of play, but adding your playful twist, if that makes sense. Yeah, so really. it makes it a little bit more spontaneous. Uh, so my book, you know, it has a program, a 28-day program. It's very structured. It, you know, takes people through what I believe would be a great 28 days of movement, for sure. But it's 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 still structured. And part of play is is spontaneity, is unstructured. And so the the cards give you away. The animal moves deck give you that give you the right to be spontaneous. You know, like, oh my gosh, I've got five minutes. I've just got out of bed. I've got five minutes. Shuffle, shuffle the pack. Seven cards. Right, that's what I'm going to do for the next five minutes. Done. You know, I have no idea what's coming next. Absolutely Amazing. no idea. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, so so that's. I feel that I need to um, encourage people to be more playful, 
and give them ideas which are not based on technology again. So again, even thinking about creating that as an app, as, as an example, which people are like, oh, when are you going to make this into an app? And I'm like, actually, you know what? There were enough. There are more than enough apps out there catering yeah. for fitness, doing yeah. a fantastic job at yeah. that. I want to kind of go back a bit and regress and go old school and say, hey, do you remember when, you know, a pack of cards would mean the world to you? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you have to look after it because you're not going to get another one. And, uh, you know, there's there's something tactile. You know, it's like I'm I'm getting in touch with my with my environment, enabling me to perform this movement wherever I am. I don't need any equipment. I don't need to be in a gym. I can be in my, in, you know, in my garden. I can be in a gym. I could be anywhere. You know, it doesn't matter where I am. I can still partake in these type of movements. So, so yeah, there'll be watch out for more of those projects. Mm. Um coming yeah. shortly <laughs> particularly because also i'm just plug i'm plugging you now i'm plugging away for you thank you um yes. you also you mentioned <laughs> you're going to be doing a ted talk as well can you just quickly talk about your process for preparing for that and maybe like a sneak peek of what kind of things you'll be thinking <laughs> well, um yeah i mean I, I was just you know privileged to be to be selected um for that talk next you know in a, in a month or so's time and uh it's pretty it's pretty hair raising to be honest i mean i've 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 done a lot of public speaking and i would say that i'm pretty adept at, at doing so um but there's a particular format that you have to follow and, and you know there's certain expectations of the audience that are there whilst i'm speaking as well as those watching online uh, and so for me the challenge is how do i how do i incorporate my playful kind of interactive nature uh, on on the stage how do i how do i make sure that i get this get this across so wait and see is all <laughs> is all i can yeah. say so yeah so i've i've even within those constraints and within those confines of what of what ted expect um, i need to make sure that i can obviously deliver what they expect i can give something to my audience which leaves them with a takeaway where they go, I want to, I want to take part in this as soon as I get back home, or you know, I want to engage with my, you know, those who are closest to me and, and ensure we can make change happen. So everyone has a great idea, and and I've been fortunate enough to have the idea, the opportunity to communicate that, and hopefully, well, not even hopefully, it will resonate with the audience, and there'll be something that people can take away and decide is it something that they want to pursue going forward so yes it's <laughs> um anxiously and excitedly waiting for that opportunity to to occur yeah. well, well we'll definitely be tuning in and supporting you um thank you and uh and in fact i'm 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 i know for a fact i'll be utilizing the cards as a part of uh, a couple of my programs at my gym because I th there's a one program specifically that is kind of the ethos or the backbone of of my gym and all the programming that I do and it's called I am found and it's mm. a foundational movement class right so um, and there's a lot of components that are thank you <laughs> there's a lot of component uh, components that deal with play and I think mm. bringing this deck of cards into the to that space allow it to be as you said spontaneous and um and so so i love that well said well broken down this is amazing um and i'm sure we could just vibe and continue talking we may have to have you back on but as we start to wrap up um 
I, I want to to ask you one of one of the fun questions that we ask when we have guests on the show was well, two actually, but one is what is your your top pet peeve? Do you know what a pet peeve is? I do, yes. Okay. All right. And um, and we and we ask this just so that people get another sense for who you are as a person because you know a lot of times we get packaged in this nice little package to say you know we're this you know whatever it is right that we mm-hmm. see on the internet and that we see in social media but sometimes we we get a better sense for who this person is when we know kind of what makes them tick <laughs> um phew. I would, I would probably say my pet. I mean, I've got too many pet peeves, mate. We'd be here for, we'd be here for hours. So, so to break it down to one, I, I'd probably say that um, my number one pet peeve would be people who just accept whatever they're being told. And if, if, if you, if you're speaking to somebody for five minutes about whatever it is, and you're convinced by their, their argument. I feel you should spend at least another five minutes <laughs> investigating what they've said, double checking their sources, you know, um, challenging them. E- even if you even if you don't believe you you're in a position to do so, ask some challenging questions. And I'll go back to I would go back to Einstein again. Play is the highest form of research. As a kid, a kid doesn't have to be more knowledgeable than an adult to point out holes in an adult's argument. Right. So their questions, their curiosity is what's the most important. And as adults, we need to remember that we don't have to be more knowledgeable than the person that we're having a discussion with to be to be undermined. Like, oh, my gosh, he knows far more than I. So I'm just going to be quiet. Actually, ask those questions that a five year old would ask that would make that person feel uncomfortable. Like, actually, you know what, Daryl, I don't have that answer for you, because that's, you know, if we all did that. I feel there'd be far more harmony, you know, there'd be far more intelligent discourse and would be open to more critical thinking. And I've, I've unfortunately suffered from this myself uh, with some biases that I've harbored, you know, confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance where you go, oh, no, I know the answer now. I'm just not going to I don't need to hear anything else about this. And I'm so I'm far more open minded than, than I've ever been on that on that basis. Well said. Wow. I, man, we I really hope we get to a point where we get you back on the show because I have got so many more questions <laughs> and rabbit holes to go down. And and obviously, for those who are listening, you can tell that that Daryl is a lot like I am. It's easy to go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> so oh, um, thank you. I appreciate yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hopefully let's, let's schedule a, uh, a call sometime in the future for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and then I guess one one last one, Grace. You can you can you can tee it up for the last question that we okay, ask. Okay, sure thing. So our very last question that we ask guests and ourselves generally is, what you're most grateful for this week? Oh wow! <laughs> um, On the spot. Actually, you know what? Um, it's was it was convincing my family that Secret Santa would be uh, a great idea. There, there are, I have a large extended family. There's lots of siblings. And so every Christmas, it's just, you literally have to go into a lot of serious overdraft or credit card debt to cater for, 
<laughs> for all the family members and so like this year i was like hey guys why don't we just do secret santa we only have to buy one present here's there's a, a set budget and all my family agreed and it's far less stressful a proposition now for for us all so i think i'm, I'm grateful most grateful for the fact that we all were on board and um it'll be it's a bit more meaningful because you've really got to think about one person and and uh, have a budget and think about what they would ben best benefit from in terms of that gift so yes so that the grateful for the fact that i will be receiving one <laughs> based on super center and then i'm able to participate in that in my myself without going broke oh that's lovely that's such a great idea as well like that's really really fantastic amazing awesome well I think uh, this is a good point to wrap up. And um, for those of you that um, that have listened and and you care to to dive more into what Daryl's doing with with Animal Moves and Primal Play, um, Daryl, if you could, I mean, obviously we'll be tagging everything in our in our post. But if you could, just for the listeners, uh, maybe rattle off that the best ways to find out more about what you're doing. Yeah. So if you want to find out about uh, the importance of play and uh, research around movement and the benefits of physical activity, then go to primalplay.com. There's actually a free ebook uh, called The Importance of Play and, uh, and a free poster download on parts of the body which are impacted on by the benefits of physical activity. So uh, that's the first place. Uh, secondly, if you wanna find out more about Animal Moves, uh, um, the, the book, the website is animalmovesbook.com dot com the fitness deck the animal moves deck interestingly is uh, <laughs> and no surprise is is animal moves deck.com <laughs> and if you want to engage with me on social media i'm known as the fitness explorer and at fitness explorer for say twitter uh, and instagram and if you want to just google about me uh google is is very has generously ensured that they've identified me as being 29 years old uh, as an author, which is pretty interesting because I'm not I'm nowhere near that age. But yeah, if you search for, <laughs> for Daryl Edwards, D-A-R-R-Y-L Edwards, uh, then you'll find like YouTube videos and, and information on some of my talks as well. So Awesome. Great. Very good. And yeah, for anyone who's been particularly interested in this talk, uh, listen out for uh, the TEDx talk. Um, which will also help share in the future. We can't wait to hear it. Yes, I'm so I'm so looking forward to that. And and just to give you a, a bit of a teaser, it's 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 going to be about why humans hate exercise, and and what what can we do about it. So so um, um yeah. Amazing! I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Daryl. It's been amazing talking to you and we can't wait to have you on the show already again. Um, and yeah, thanks, thanks everyone for listening. For we'll see you next time. Talk. Thanks so right, much, Grace. Thank, thank you very much, Josh. Take care. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye-bye. And if you like this episode and it was helpful in any way, feel free to share. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>